need to play it. Amen, somebody? All right, so we're going to take kind of four turns. We're going to try to understand God's process, and we're going to talk about living into his path, embracing his power, and maintaining his posture. So we're going to talk about understanding the process, living on the path, embracing his power, and maintaining his posture. So, y'all, we're going to start trying to just understanding the process. So if you have a Bible with what Caitlin just read for us, verse 12 starts with, therefore. And any good Bible reader knows if there's a therefore, you need to know what the therefore is there for, you know. It's an argument, right? If I say therefore, I just said something I need you to know, right? So Pastor Ron last week was talking about humility, right? One of the most famous passages in all of Scripture on Jesus' humility, But even in that passage, he took us at the end, look at verse 9 of chapter 2. It starts with a therefore, right? It says, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus, right? So it kind of shifts from Jesus was the most humble one to look what God did after the fact of him humbling himself. God exalted him. So it sets up a bit of a, a kingdom formula, which is when you go low, God does bring you high, right? Therefore, this week's text. Therefore, work out your salvation, which we're going to talk about. There's another phrase in our text this week. It, it, you might have noticed it. it says, therefore, my beloved, in verse 12, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much more in my presence. We've actually seen absence and presence played together one other time. So if you want to scroll over or look over at chapter 1, verse 27. Okay, check this out. In that, in that verse... Paul said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, so this week's sermon kind of started, it's, it's the culmination of an argument that started back in 127 where he said live worthy of the gospel, which we've been talking about the past few weeks. And it's going to culminate in next week's sermon because it kind of goes from 127 all the way to 230. Okay, so I just want to give you a couple of verses uh, that Caitlin also read that fleshes out the picture for next week. And then I'll kind of give you how it all fits. Does that make sense? Okay, so just stay with me a little while longer. So if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which is what this message is about. Okay, now let's go to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So this is kind of the image, okay, if I could piece it all together. He's trying to say, y'all, live together and pour yourselves out like Jesus poured himself out for us. Like be so humble in your mindset. Live worthy of the gospel. Just go hard laying your preferences down for one another Agree in the Lord, have one mind, have this mind like Jesus had, emptied himself, and when you do, God will exalt you, and it's going to feel like work sometimes, that's what we're about to talk about, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and when you do it, you become a picture to the world of light and darkness. When you do, you become, you are my children, you are the light in the midst of darkness, and everybody will see it and say, who is their God? So if I could, if I could break it all down in one, one uh, uh, phrase, long phrase, I would say we're to be empowered by God's promise that if you go low, he'll bring you high, okay? We're to aim for God's pleasure, which is empty yourself. Live to give yourself away. We live on God's path, which is the path of obedience. That's what this sermon is. 
in God's power. Did you notice in our text this week, and it says, uh, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what we're going to talk about. And as we do that, we become God's picture of light in the darkness. All the while, we've got to maintain God's posture, which is fear and trembling. Are y'all with me? Empowered by his promise, we aim for his pleasure, we live on his path, we become the picture as we maintain the posture. So the rest of our time together right now, because we're about to talk about changing the oil. Are y'all with me? I wanted y'all to have some vision before I just tell you to change the oil, but that's what the Bible's going to call us to this weekend, okay? It's change your oil. So I want us to understand that the real, the highlight of what we're talking about is verses 12 and 13. It's going to say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then this the side statement comes with it, for it is God who works in you, both will and work for his good pleasure. So it's kind of like a coin with two sides on it. It's like we've got a part, God's got a part. The parts are not equal. Sneak peek. God is, God's work is, is bigger than our work, but it doesn't nullify our work. So for the rest of our time, we're really going to talk about that part of the whole process. If you are with me, say I'm in it. Okay, so let's talk about living on God's path in verse 12. Live on God's path. His path is obedience. Y'all check this out. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So with fear and trembling kind of tells you the, the manner in which you do it, but the reality is we can't get around it. The text says, Work out your salvation. That's what we're here to talk about. What does that mean? Right? Well, the first thing we've got to understand is we're not working for a salvation that we haven't gotten. We are working out a salvation we've been freely given. Now, the Christian life is not an earning life. It's a gifted life. We are working out a gift. We are not working for a reward. This is not a threat from Paul. Y'all better work out the salvation. You're going to lose it. Right? What verse did we challenge ourselves to memorize in chapter 1, verse 6? If you didn't yet, that's okay. If you don't know now, you know. Memorize chapter 1, verse 6. It says, For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the end, at the day of Christ Jesus. So he began it. He's going to complete it. So this is not a threat. This is just an encouragement to stir up. As you've always done, do it now. (laughs) This ain't something new. This is what you've been doing. Let's do it right? Work out your salvation. And he kind of tells you what it is. He says, as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation. So there's a link between the working out of salvation and obedience. Y'all see that? Can't, can't untwist it. Everybody, I, I'm going to invite you in just a second. Imagine you just ate something you're allergic to. Like, imagine spasming. Okay, we're all going to spasm on three. Do a funny, kids in here, y'all do it. Give me a little, eh, give me one. You ready? On three. One, two, three. Eh. Give me a little spasm. Like, why are we spasming? Because we're all allergic to the word obedience. We are allergic to obey. Our culture wants you to be allergic to obey. You don't obey nobody but yourself, (laughs) right? But what you want, but your desires. When you do what you want, you're obeying your own sense of what's right, wrong, or what you want, your desires, right? Y'all, we just got to know that we have sort of Uh, in our sin that ain't our culture's fault let's not blame our culture for the fact that we don't want to obey but they they don't want us to obey either okay it's it's something we struggle with it's a hard word obey it implies there's something bigger than you 
there's something you've got to take into account, right? Uh, there's a, a quote we'll share here a lot from a theologian. He said it like this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So we've gotten into the Christian culture. We've got this down. We don't earn nothing from God. We got it. Don't be a legalist. Got it. But we struggle with effort is good, right? Like effort and obedience requires effort because even the redeemed version of you who's in Christ and loves the Lord, sometimes when you get told to do something, guess what your immediate inward thought is? No. <laughs> you do a little short circuit and you're like, nah, I'm good. And we justify it. You know, oh, I'm not feeling that. The Lord would want me to be authentic. So I just will not step into that. That's not for me, you know. And that's all of us, y'all. But y'all, here's what we've got to remember and just reorient our mind to. The call to obey is the call to thrive. Y'all, obedience is the thriving life. It's the good life. If I tell you, go hit the beach with your friends, stop at Sheets, $10 on me, or Wawa, amen somebody. Here's $10, it'll get you like one item and half of another It'll get you like a Snickers bar and then like six chips. Prices are crazy. But if I gave you the money and I said, go hit the beach with your best friend and you just got to fill up the gas tank. I just gave you a command, fill up the gas tank and go to the beach. But I'm inviting you to live at the beach with your friend. Are you tracking with me? Y'all, behind every word from God is a world of God. He's inviting you to live in his world when he hands you his word. If you live into the word, you get the world. I think we get so hung up on the word and it's like, what world is behind that word? Me commanding you to not step outside your marriage is inviting you to enjoy your marriage. <laughs> it's not no for no sake, it's what yeses are behind that no. What world is being protected that is good and beautiful and being built? What garden could come to life? What world could be unfolded behind this word? But y'all, there's an enemy who wants you to focus on, I, I don't like that though. Like Adam and Eve, we have inherited, but I want that tree, though. I don't care about all these other trees. I want that one, you know? Um, and that's just in us. But behind every word from God, there is a world of God. And, y'all, that world is built when we love him, submit to him, and obey him. Y'all, think about the Great Commission. The last thing Jesus tells his disciples is, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, baptize the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe teach them to do, teach them to obey what I told you to do. Did Jesus become a legalist on his last day? No. He's saying, hey, if you want to change the world, it's my world that will change the world. And the path to my world is through obeying my word. It's as simple as that. That's not anti-thriving. That's the path to thriving. And, and, and the reality is it's okay to, to reframe that in your head. Uh, some of you are familiar with a, a four-word summary of the world. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's how we were created in God's image. All was well. We fell in our sin just like Adam and Eve. God's rescue plan is his redemption plan. And when he rescues us one day, he will fully restore us the new heavens, new earth, right? But it's also a way to think about every time God is calling you to do something. Forgive that coworker. Every time you receive the command, I'm called to forgive. He is... Com he is he is creating when he hands you a word. And in your fallenness, you're going to be like, no. Okay, you are fallen. You're still going to struggle with that. You're not a pure vessel. 
even on the day you're listening to your favorite worship song in Starbucks. You are fallen. And not every ounce of you wants to do what you should want to do. But the redemption comes in when you're like, God, in meditation and like, man, the gospel, the cross, who you are, all these things. God, help me. God, help me. How can I forgive him? How can I forgive him? I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to step out trusting you. And then this amazing thing happens. Restoration is when you actually catch glimpses of being who you were designed to be. Not the old sinful broken self who hates all the things of the Lord, but occasionally in your redeemed self, it feels good to obey. But it doesn't always feel that way on the front end. You kind of got to go, you got to die to live, right? That was kind of the point of the preceding verses is when we, like Christ, go low, God will exalt us. And so often we opt out of that experience before it even gets started. You know, many missionaries who have turned upside down cultures, all parts of the world. One of my favorite ones was a dude in China. And just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1940s in Germany, like you, you ask these guys, like, what changed the game? And he was like, the Sermon on the Mount. It's as simple as that. I just got there and lived what Jesus told me to do. You forgive people, it's crazy. You love enemies, no category for it. You know, you let your yes be yes, your no be no, just do what he said. Like some traditions, they read the Sermon on the Mount like every Sunday. They're reading a different portion on it. They're like, this will change our neighborhood, our society, our city, my workplace. If I just, I don't have to go figure out some crazy, I don't need a dream. I just need to follow what the Lord has given me to do. And I could change some things. So where in your life right now is God just calling you to obey? Yo, it's worth it but it's going to feel like you see the oil light come on. Does that make sense? It might feel like that, and that's your invitation to know the Lord in that, not to, not to grind your teeth, not to smack your teeth. Grinding your teeth is, I hate this, I'm going to do it anyways. Smacking your teeth is, Lord, ask me to forgive them again. Yes, he is. And he's inviting you into a world where imagine one day where you don't hate nobody no more. Like imagine a world where one day you don't use so much energy to defend yourself. You know, but you're just blessing people. You're oblivious to yourself. That world is coming. Now live in that world right now. <laughs> so where is it for you? What, what is the call right now? Is there an enemy to love, somebody to forgive, some sin to confess, a parent to honor? Amen. Teenagers, love you. God bless you. Okay, we've talked about living on the path. Now let's talk about embracing God's power. Embracing God's power. Let's read uh, verses 12 in 13 together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Y'all, the basis of us doing everything we just talked about is that God is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to talk a little Greek for a couple of minutes because, and, and we typically don't, uh, we typically don't, we're not quoting Greek all the time just to, to flex on you, but it's when it's helpful to help you understand what's going on in the text because Paul is really trying to show us something. Because we've got work to do, work out your salvation. That's the word work in English. But then God is working in you, and those are different Greek words, and it kind of points to how the process is different. Are you with me? So I just want to teach you those real quick. Our word for work out your salvation is katergazomai. Okay, katergazomai, just means do it, like, act, like activate, do it, okay? 
The word for God's work is a word. If I wrote it out like the transliteration, it would be the word like, imagine energy, take off the Y and put an O on it. Ener, energo. Energo. Literally, what it's saying is God is energizing you. That's kind of literally what it gets after. It is God who works in you. God is energizing you, believer, to bring about what is pleasing to him. The, the, the fancy term, if you look up the definition of that word, it'll say achieve, do. It looks similar to the other list for katergazomai, but then it says this word effectual. What the word effectual means is like somebody like some, in some kind of way there's a doing, but like what's the like fuel of the doing? Does that make sense? Like what actually makes it happen? And it's kind of like if you use the, the illustration, the best way I could with the car is like change the oil, but you could change the oil, but what's making the car work? Does that make sense? It's like the oil makes the car work. So what's the oil? The Lord, the Lord's the oil. That's, that's kind of what's being put out here. The Lord is the, the worker that makes the work happen. Does that make sense? And his work doesn't nullify the work we just talked about. It doesn't undo all that. But the question has to be begged, how are we going to do any of this? <laughs> how am I going to make that happen? How am I ever going to actually want what I should want? How can I ever forgive that person? How could I ever step into that? Ever. And the answer is because it is God who works, energos you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And if that verse wasn't there, we're in trouble, aren't we? We're in big trouble if that verse isn't there. But it begs the question, y'all, how can God effectually work in a sinner like me and you? Y'all, this is the good news of the gospel, and stay with me, because I think a lot of us don't functionally believe this. We have a view of salvation, of justification, that you've been made right with God, believer, freely, on the cross by what Christ did, and you put your faith in it. That is true. That's justification by grace alone, through faith alone. Pow. It's a flesh out the example what a lot of us functionally carry is is we think we owed God a lot of money God clears the account and yeah maybe he threw a little more in there just to make you feel loved or something but what happens is the Lord himself is removed and you create a worldview where you have to pay him back I have to live up to the great sacrifice that was done for me so every every Bible study is heaping on what you feel you have to do to pay him back for what he did Y'all, that is called a debtor's ethic. You did it for me and now I owe you. That's not it is present ongoing that God is working in you. He works in you. He is energizing you now. You know, the gospel, when Christ died on that cross, he didn't just die the, the uh, nullifying debt. Okay, I think we've got that. Y'all, he also purchased the ongoing ministry of the triune God in your life. Where Romans 8 talks about how the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And if a child and an heir, a co-heir with Christ, like you ain't just tolerated, believer. You are being energized to bring about God-pleasing stuff. You please God right now. That's the gospel. It's not that God has done something that gives you potential. And let's see how it goes. I'm watching you. I've invested in you. You know, it is a present 
participation of the triune God in your life. As Romans 8 tells us, God in every way, shape, and form is for you. Working with you, working in you to bring about that which pleases Him. Did you know that you please God right now, believer? And that becomes, that's, that's hard for us. We see the cross, we see what he did, and we see the moment we received it. But if we're honest, our life since receiving Jesus to now, we feel a sense of what I'm not that I wish I could be in Christ. And what it can create is ongoing distance from the Lord if I haven't lived up to my potential. And do you see how the enemy is at work there? The text says it is God who works in you. Right now, all the time, to the whole church and to you as an individual. God, it's, guys, it's good to remember that God has saved you, but the Bible also teaches that He is saving you, and He will save you. And His grace is present at each stage in the process, not just in the past and not just in the future. It's here and now, and it'll be there tomorrow. That's the gospel. It's not just He did it, now live up to it. It's He's with you now. See, I want to show you one text for Paul. This is the confidence. He's not confident that he's good at this. I promise you. He's just confident that God is working in me. So I want to show you one text where he talks about that a little bit. Turn with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. This is one of my favorites. We're going to be in two verses. Verses 28 and 29. So Paul is just kind of explaining his ministry to the church at Colossae. In verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Check this out, verse 29. For this I toil, I toil, struggling with all His energy that He works in me. Y'all, that's not just Bible talk. That's Paul's view of reality. I'm grinding, not my energy. Grinding on borrowed energy. You know what I mean? The word for struggling there is agonizomai, agonizing. Agonizing. I agonize to preach Christ. It takes effort. I wake up early. I do this. I travel. I'm, you know, beat down. I am agonizing. This feels like torture, and it ain't my energy. God is putting energy in me. And it's one of those statements that you walk out of a sermon like, Am I walking right now? Is this, is this, am I breathing? I remember I heard my favorite preachers one time. He was talking about Galatians 2.20, which is similar, where the Bible says that I'm dead. Now I'm alive in him. I'm alive. And you're like, my dead or alive? Um, he says, like, right now I'm preaching to y'all. I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching to you. And he goes, but I'm preaching. And you're like, in a little bit, though, I'm like, once you get there, you're understanding that God is at work in you. You know, we just saying, I've, I've been born, his new life has happened, and God is the active agent effectually working in you to bring about that which pleases him. And if you feel stuck in your walk with God right now, y'all, this is what I think Paul would tell you, what Colossians 1 teaches us. You most feel God's work in you when you most focus on what he's called you to work on, when we work on his stuff in his way with him, we feel his work in us. He's like, I couldn't have done that. You know, people come up to you and be like, man, how did this, how are you so patient now here? How this here? How this here? 
or on the long haul looking back on your life, and you'll say, it wasn't me. It was Christ in me. It was like a power came into me. But we tend to not feel that when we're not working on what he calls us to work on. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's why the call to obedience, that's why he's being so direct. Like, obey, work it out, your salvation. Do it, do it. And as you do it and realize you can't do it, you're sensing his work in you. Does that make sense? So I would just call you again, like, where are we excusing our lack of obedience from not feeling it? The enemy is at work there, y'all. It's not that feeling, it's not that I don't want you to be authentic. Of course you do. Of course we all want to just feel righteous when we wake up and like, I just want the Lord's kingdom today, not mine. I just never wake up feeling that way. It's crazy how that works. If you wait for that feeling, you're going to be waiting for a while, okay? But y'all, there is one phrase we haven't talked about yet that we need to, and that's God's posture. We have to maintain God's posture. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Somebody say, with fear and trembling. It's fear and trembling. Not grinding teeth, not gritting teeth, not smacking teeth. Gotta obey. You know. it's, it's, a, it's the posture of fear and trembling. Those words, since we do a Greek today, are phobos and tromos. Pho, phobos, like phobia. Think like fear. So am I afraid of God while I do this? It's not a fear of God. It's a trembling, a shaking that you're even having this conversation. That you're being told God is working in you. You're just supposed to be like, what? You know what I mean? Like his energy's in me, you know? Like what, what does that even mean? It's a trembling over the realities that you've been invited into. I don't know about you. I remember being just a straight hooligan who ain't care about none of what we're talking about. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden now, like, I, I want God. Like, that's amazing. And he's inviting me to want him more, and I want to make him look good in this area of my life. And I'm just trembling that he's even given me this word. Isaiah 66, 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It's a good one to memorize as well. You can just write it down. 66, 2 says this. All these things my hand has made. I've made everything. All these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Y'all, there's something about God is looking for a person who trembles that they get to be in the room with him. And all of us have season stretches, days, minutes where you're not trembling, believer. You're like, whatever, taking it for granted. Don't be shamed by that. Be invited to get back to where you're trembling. Like, you're just like, what? I get, I'm in this conversation. I want to be here. He wants me, right? I'll tell you one thing that had me fearing and trembling this week, and it starts with spell check. Okay, y'all know spell check. God bless spell check. When they underline the thing in your paper, all the time to me, okay? Process for sermon writing. I basically write some thoughts out. I try to come up here kind of just in an outline, but I've, I've prepped some things. I've thought through some things. So there's a lot of spell check underlines. And now with the technology, it's like even just not good sentences. Like something's going on here. Reword. Okay. And um, so I was just, I was like, okay, let's just look some stuff up. Like what are the most misspelled words? Fun fact. The most misspelled word in the United States is the word coolly. Like you would think C-O-O-L-Y. Nope. C-O-O-L-L-Y. Pow. That's why it's the most misspelled word in America. And the most misspelled word in Virginia, in case you were wondering, is the word controversy. And I'm like, do we, 
Are we so good at doing controversy that we can't spell it? Or are we so bad at uh, controversy that we can't spell it? But, fun fact for you. But this week, I'm typing, right? Y'all, check this out. I said this phrase probably 80 times, even in our, our time here together. I've said the phrase, God is working in you. God works in you. Every single time, squigglies it. You know what wants to change it to? God works for you. Not untrue. There's something uncomfortably intimate about God works in you. You're kind of like, how does that work? How's that possible? I like the idea of God is working for me. You know, like it in, in Belchick can't handle it. It had an allergic reaction. Short circuit. Stop saying that. And I'm like, but it's what the Bible says. It says that God is working in me. Spell check. You try to make it God is working for me. True. But y'all, there's something about this reality that if you just, if you, if you walk out of here not fear and trembling, that's okay. Keep telling yourself God is at work in you until you tremble. Believer. And if you do not follow Jesus, the invitation to you on your life is way bigger than you just writing Christian on a survey is way bigger than even a moment where you, you, you kind of surrender. It's good to see your sin and surrender and you come into the faith. But the goal for your life is that God would work in you. God wants to do things in your life and build worlds through your life, both through your morals, your ethics, your way of living, with just everything about the way you think will change, and that's what he's after. And y'all, it pleases him. Believe it, you know what your future is? It's pleasing God. You know what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to please God. In 10 years, you're going to be one who pleases him. When you look at your far out future, that's what you can be banking on is that I'm going to please God. Not because I got something in me, but something's working in me. And you can be confident that for all eternity, you will please him, but you please him right now. Poor City Church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. What an amazing, amazing, amazing truth, Lord, that kind of blows our minds a little bit. Uh, God, you call us to work some things out. And Father, I pray you would stir those things up in our mind even now if we follow you. Uh, where, where you're calling us just to step into your world, step into your word, step into obedience. Got a new way of understanding your word and just just taking it seriously and and running after you lord but god let us do it remembering you are at work in us lord help us to have experiences of feeling you working in us god help us to sense that and to to be confident and to know where that's happening but lord on the days where our faith is frail where we're just caught in sin or maybe we're suffering things are just a struggle help us to just remember this truth that you are at work in us both to will and to work for your good pleasure. God, thank you uh, that in Christ, because of what he has done, we can please you and we will please you. Lord, bless the rest of our time now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.